I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today on the line for our series on women in the judiciary is Judge Lindiwe Pusi from the Eastern Cape Division of the High Court in Mtata. The judiciary falls under the remit of the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development. And one of the department's goals is to have a well-functioning criminal justice system that provides relief to victims of crime, protects vulnerable groups, and swiftly acts against perpetrators of corrupt activities. I'd like to open today's program with a, a quote from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was the former Associate Justice of the Supreme Court in the United States, where she said, women belong in all places where decisions are being made. It shouldn't be that women are the exception. So with that said, welcome to the show, Judge Husi. Thank you so much, Dr. Amelia. Thank you for having me on the show. It is indeed an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much. To begin with, you hold a B-Eurist degree from Walter Sassoon University, which was previously the University of Transkei, an LLB also from Walter Sisuli University, an LLM from UNISA. You've practiced as an attorney, thereafter as a magistrate, and now elevated to bench as high court judge. Each step in your career has successively built on the previous one. What triggered your interest to pursue law? Thank you, Dr. Amelia. Um, I, I know that what I'm about to say might slightly different from what um, many people would um, expect, but the discipline and values of humanity that my parents instilled in my siblings and I growing up impelled me to strive for order and equity in everything I did and in all my dealings with other persons. That is so, of course, despite the fact that as humans, we are fallible. And as a child, I, I learned to accept that when I deviate from the conduct that is expected of me, there will be punishment that would follow. And that kept me grounded. And I continued to grow through the various stages of child development and understood, most importantly, that for there to be a balance in life, people's conduct must be regulated somehow. Like I say, this is what kept me grounded. And, and later on in my schooling years in high school, we would have a career exhibition. That is where I learned of different career paths, of course. And when mention was made of law and what it is, I was intrigued by the phenomenon. And as I continued to become now acutely alive to all the social ills and, and conduct that deviated from what I perceived to be normal conduct, from what I was taught, I then knew that it is through the vehicle of law that I could in life make a contribution towards maintaining the order and equity that I grew up 
knowing. So th- th- that is what drove me or attracted me to study law. Listening to what you've said on all of the factors from the, the principles and discipline that you have at home and looking at keeping order as a, as a way of life, because if we don't have order, I think that is the route to chaos and disorder. But you mentioned something about the career exposés at schools. If we, as young people, are not provided with those types of opportunities to understand what exists and is available, we might never know. True. That is true. And in in fact, you you still see that today when, when children still believe that for you to make a contribution in any sphere of life, socially and professionally, you need to become a, a doctor, an engineer, an architect, etc., etc. And really, I am grateful and I'm sure that many others are grateful together with me that we did get that opportunity, albeit it was not as effective as it has become. Moving ahead to where we are now, 2022, as a judge interpreting the law, you really make tough decisions. One side is going to win and be happy. The other side is not going to be happy. Can you share with us a few of the most memorable cases that you've presided over? Um. I'm hoping that I'm not going to disappoint uh, people who are waiting um, with anticipation to hear about those cases. But this is what I've realized. Because of the uniqueness of each case that we deal with, it becomes almost impractical to, to pinpoint a particular case as the most memorable. Because remember, every litigant involved in each case brings to that case something about it that is sharply distinct from a previous yet similar dispute. And over and above this, we are required to detach ourselves from the cases that we preside over before and after we preside over those cases. And that is so that we may maintain impartiality in future cases or in future similar disputes. Can you tell us how you managed to do that? What are some of the tools and the tactics you use to re- retain that impartiality and, and not become involved? Obviously, you, you are going to be getting two opposite conflicting arguments put before you. And both of them, remember, are thoughtfully and quite persuasively presented to you. What you must know in the first place is that you will just not be in a position to satisfy both sides. And at the end of it all, justice here needs to be done. It is not about you, the person, and what you perceive on a personal level of the dispute that is before you. It is about the principle of law and the particular unique facts of the case before you. And the overarching consideration, of course, is that in the end, justice needs to be done. A dispute must be resolved. And because they could not do so themselves, you are the next port of call. In fact, you must be so decisive 
about it that when you are done, you don't even want to go back and think if if you were right in 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 saying this and or not saying that you 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 are done move on not with with an element of of carelessness or lack lack of thought for for the litigants or the litigant or is losing of course but so that you cannot uh, be tainted in your in your impartiality i think it is a fantastic skill and a difficult one to to maintain really <laughs> you've shared with us your views in terms of doing what's right in terms of the social justice aspect. And I want to share with our listeners that earlier on in your career, when you were working as an attorney, you were with Legal Aid. And that's an organization that provides legal aid services to people who can't afford their own legal representation. So naturally, it includes poor people, vulnerable groups, such as women, children, and people living in rural areas. I understand that you were also involved with several community outreach programs and legal advice sessions and presentations. Please, can you tell us which topics had the greatest demand in the community? It was invariably a customary law, family law, access to justice, and the efficiency of the justice system. And and you, you would often observe as you interact with the community that they did not understand or were not well equipped to channel their complaints or their disputes through the justice system. They did not understand that the justice system makes room for them to assert their rights, in particular with reference to domestic violence, to dignity, freedom, and security of person. If I could make an example regarding child maintenance, you, you, you'd find that a, a woman who is married would not know that if and when her husband neglects or fails to fulfill his financial obligations towards the children, she can have recourse to the law, would get questions such as, but I'm married to this man, we live together, he sleeps next to me in my bed, how can I take him to court for child maintenance? Those were the, the, the issues we came across with quite often. Those workshops uh, sound like they were really important knowledge disseminating sessions and such valuable knowledge that people really need to know. True, true. And you could sense the, the, the relief from community for the fact that we, we brought enlightenment to them. People, they were really in the dark. Mm. Having worked in this environment, highlighting the fact that people were in the dark, they're likely to still be in the dark. What do you think needs to be done to ensure that we have a, a justice system that is accessible to all and promotes and protects social justice? Because what you were talking about were really elements of social justice. I always liken access to justice to a mosaic. It involves, in my view, many elements. The enhancement of physical access, which is the reach, the effectiveness of the justice system, its compliance, most importantly, with human rights standards, its quality, its affordability, 
and the speedy resolution of disputes, amongst other things. If we don't have those elements within the justice system, then we cannot even begin to talk of access to justice. And of course, in our country, in South Africa, we already see great improvement when it comes to reach or the physical access to justice with courtrooms being now established in the remote areas. And with all of that being said, I would add that perhaps more still needs to be done in improving or strengthening access to justice linguistically. What do I mean by that? By adopting a firm stance of using local language, of course, within the parameters of resources available. In that way, I believe that we will at least have achieved something towards strengthening access to justice. And, and lastly, on this point, Dr. Amelia, I, I want to mention, I was intrigued as I read a judgment by the now Deputy Chief Justice, Justice Mandisa Maya, written in Isikosa. Of course, that judgment related to a different matter, a dispute over use of the Afrikaans language in one of the institutions of tertiary education in our country. But then having read the judgment, beautifully and eloquently written in Isikosa, I then realized that after all, it is indeed practical to invest in the linguistic strengthening of access to justice. Those are very important points that you raise. What I like about what you're saying is that these are ways that we can advance, that there's always elements about change that can be brought in to suit the needs of society. And that is what the law is there for, to be serving our citizens. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity. And today we're talking to Judge Lindiwe Husi from the Eastern Cape Division of the High Court in Ntata. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Judge Husi, we were talking about looking at future interventions of, of having that access and, and protection to social justice. Our world is changing constantly and, and correspondingly, the law does too. We had a, a previous interview with one of your colleagues, Judge Nodia Ordendal, and she shared a, a recent changes, one in terms of recognition of Muslim marriages, noting the positive impact on women's rights. She also shared changes regarding the maintenance claims and the Divorce Act. In your view, what would you say have been some of the most important recent laws or, or reforms that have been passed that have been in the best interests of women? Perhaps I should start with the recent constitutional court decision in the matter of Mrs. Sitole, a 72-year-old um, woman, which involved a marital power of the husband in marriages that were concluded under the then uh, Black Administration Act of the year 1927. In that case, the, the court confirmed an order of constitutional invalidity that was uh, granted in the KwaZulu-Natal 
division of the High Court. Basically, the Constitutional Court held that it was not in accordance with the spirit and purpose of the Constitution that even in this era, we still have women who happened to have been born in those years and who happened to have been married under the marriage regime of the time to not have a say when it comes to property rights in regard to property that accrues in their marriage. So that is the sum total of that uh, specific case. And insofar as other legislative um, uh, reforms are concerned, I am thinking of the three pieces of legislation that have been passed recently by the president of the country, the criminal law, sexual offenses and related matters amendment bill, which amends the criminal law, sexual offenses and related matters amendment act, the criminal and related matters amendment bill, which amends the main statutes that we know govern court processes, both in the superior and lower courts. And that includes the Criminal Procedure Act 51 of the year 1977. What this new legislation does, particularly the second act, the one that amends your Magistrates um, Court Act, the Superior Court Act, the Criminal Procedure Act of 1977. What, what this legislation does is to make provision for additional procedures now regarding to how witnesses, particularly victims of gender-based violence, give evidence in court. It makes provision for use of intermediaries and audio-visual recordings where now the secondary victimization, I would say, of those victims is reduced because remember, when they come and give testimony in court, invariably, they are made to relive their experiences. That point that you're saying, we hear it time and time again, that someone has gone through their experience, then they have to live through the trauma again as they go in and relay their testimony. True. And we also, of course, have the, the Domestic Violence Act, which has since also been amended, which uh, brings about now new definitions regarding what constitutes domestic violence and really places obligations on functionaries of uh, government departments and SAPS, the police now, in, insofar as rendering services to victims of domestic violence. It also tightens procedures when it comes to bail applications and cancellation of bail in fact, where uh, the bail applicant did not, for example, disclose that there was a protection order in place at the time he committed the, the gender-based um, offence against their victim. These are all elements that are really strengthening and giving a woman opportunities to, to fight back. True. We're now in August. It's a period in South Africa where we celebrate Women's Month, where we look at the gains that we've made, as well as the challenges that we still have to contend with. This year's theme is generation equality, realizing women's rights for an equal future. As a judge, seeing people's rights upheld and infringed upon, how do you interpret this year's theme for Women's Day? For me, It is an invitation to those in government 
to be more deliberate in implementing policies aimed at ensuring gender parity and promotion of women's rights. That's number one. Number two, and now at the level of the judiciary, we are called upon to not shirk our duties in interpreting and applying all laws that seek to promote equality as provided for in section nine of our constitution and to make sure that the decisions we take stick to the spirit of this equality uh, clause and to jealously guard the right to equality. It certainly is a a right that has been hard earned and we cannot let it regress. True. As we look towards the future for women, what do you think we need to do to help build a a more egalitarian society so that there are no limits? I always say at the heart of social justice is the aspiration to see everyone lead a fulfilling and dignified life. And this should not depend on the person's identity or social strata. And in my view, really, there needs to be a a shift in in how we, we perceive women and the role that they ought to play in society. There's a saying that, you can't put new wine in an old wine skin. For as long as we have not become deliberate in having that change in mentality, the imbalances insofar as gender parity, either socially and in the workplace, are likely to continue. For as long as there's still ideals like a woman's place is in homemaking, certain tasks can only be better carried out by their male counterparts and other similar stereotyping, then we'll still have a challenge of gender inequality in our society. And of course, there are the institutional hierarchies in culture. Through those, women are denied recognition. Staying with that view of institutional elements and hierarchies and systems, thinking about the challenges that we still have to contend with, uh, as well as the successes that we've had, I'm always a believer of of equality and having 50-50 representation. Do you think that this notion of 50-50 could be achieved if more women, for instance, entered the political arena or the judiciary or spaces where laws are, are made to help people conform? And going back to what you stated earlier on in the introduction about the discipline of the rules. If people know what the rules are, they know what the expectations are. Mm -hmm. I I understand that the, the, the Women Empowerment and Gender Equality Bill, amongst other um, reforms in legislation seeks to address the, the issue of equal representation in decision-making structures. It, it enjoins public bodies and designated private bodies to ensure that there is capacity building for women. They are understanding 
of what their role should be in the first place is heightened and that the understanding and attitudes of communities to accept the capabilities and participation of women as their equals is enhanced and that there be a development of mechanisms for supporting women. That is what the bill sought to do. Now, here is where it gets interesting in my view. In the political arena, we should remember that the incumbents, particularly in the relevant arms of government, are elected by the communities. And so whatever a percentage of representation you see there would be the product of the exercise of their will and right to vote. Now, that tells you that if we still hold on to the ideas, such as the fact that women are not better placed to perform decision-making tasks or to assume leadership roles, then we still are going to be sitting with a problem. Now, in the sphere of the judiciary, we all know that there are statutory bodies that have been established to undertake the task of appointing judges. Those statutory bodies consist in an appropriate percentage of representativity of communities. Judges go through scrutiny by the statutory uh, bodies. And I must say this, we, we now see a great improvement in so far as appointment of female judges in the judiciary in South Africa. And that is much appreciated, but we can all agree, I am sure that more still needs to be done towards the recognition of the capabilities of women in decision-making structures. I fully concur with you. And also this notion of the fact that it starts off in communities, it starts off on the ground. That is where you're identified with and and those are your representations. And we have to maintain that momentum. Yes, that is true. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity. And today we're talking to Judge Lindiwe Husi from the Eastern Cape Division of the High Court in Imtata. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Judge Husi, turning more towards a, a personal perspective, we spoke about your educational career earlier on, listing your qualifications. Uh, you spent a portion of your career lecturing students on a broad base of, of topic in, topics in the legal space. Being a student can be challenging. There are often times where one feels like giving up. I, I know I have. But knowing what education has enabled you to do in your career, what advice would you give to people about sticking to the program and earning their degree? I would say before you even think of giving up, really think about why you started in the first place. Now, most importantly, discipline, which in my view, entails committing to the program, no matter the challenges, because there will be challenges, will do you a world of good. Be consistent in all your effort 
towards attaining your goal. Understand that you cannot lean on your own understanding. There's always something to learn from everyone, from the next person. And there will surely be failures when those okay. Do not be hard on yourself beyond the scope of doing introspection. Don't pass judgment on yourself. And I know it's a hard question to ask you, but if you had to change anything about the past, <laughs> what are some of the things that you would have done differently? <laughs> it, 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 is, it is an interesting question to, to, to answer, just as much as it is a difficult question to, to ask. And I'd say in that regard, I, I, I firmly believe that everything that we experience in life is there for a specific reason. It, it, it operates as building blocks that work towards producing the unique persons, the unique beings that we, we later become. In, in, in so far as I'm concerned, my past prepared me for the now. In fact, I am always grateful that I went through everything that I've gone through in life. For example, if you take the bed that one would have gone through, it was there to sharpen my ability to endure, to, to, to bring about being courageous, courage, being brave in the face of any form of adversity. So therefore, if I were to change anything regarding the past, that would surely take away something from the person that I have now become. Yes, indeed. Our history shapes the present and our present in turn influences the future. That's so true. That's so true. Thinking about your personal journey, it, it's a question that I ask all my guests because everybody has a different experience. People have reached tremendous successes in their lifetimes, and I'd be interested to understand what have been some of the key drivers to your success? I know that for, for most of us, it would be determination, it would be discipline, it would be focus, and I want to add Honesty with oneself, being courageous to do the right thing, no matter how unpopular doing so would be. Humility and understanding, really, that in the end, it is not even about me as Judge Hussey. It is about the greater cause of being of service to others, which is the main thing I am called to do where I am. That's all. Those attributes certainly tie into the function of your role. True. You weren't always a judge. You weren't <laughs> always a, a law student. Please tell us about some of the pivotal moments that have shaped your life. Sure. Uh, there's, there's so many, but but I, I, I remember that at the age of five, I would follow older children to school and the teachers at school would let me sit in and participate in the class activities. They were pleasantly surprised that I was well able to comprehend, to comprehend the, the, the concept in class and produce as good work as other uh, learners. And 
when they reported to my father that Lindy has to go straight to the then substandard B, that was in sub A, my father said, no, she will start sub A next year when she is six years old. And then another a moment would be during the civil unrest that erupted in my locality in the 1980s. It endured for, for a longish period, and my parents decided that in order for us not to lose out on the academic year, they need to relocate us to our relatives in Itujua, in the formal trans guy. There, there are no words to describe the pain I, I, my sister and I suffered of separating from our parents and our siblings. But then that had a good ending. It speaks now to endurance. We successfully completed our respective grades and were able then to go back home once everything has quieted down and continued with our normal lives. And of course, later on in the years, being able to get the privilege and opportunity of getting tertiary education, there was more than seven of us at home. The fact that we, we were able to get an education, I was able to go as far as I went in education was a big thing for me. And, and this one has a, a, a saddening or dampening effect, I would say, a dampening Effect when when I was when I was twenty one, our mother passed away. My younger sister and I had to join hands in being mothers to our younger siblings and support our then unemployed father, who also has since a passed on. It it was it was difficult. We were young. We were really oblivious to most of life issues. But then in the end, out of all of that experience, I became a, a courageous and, and resilient person and, and began to, to understand that there isn't anything that you cannot overcome if you make a habit of tapping in the innermost being which is as resilient and strong as ever. You speak with a lot of, of strength. You speak with a lot of emotion, um, a lot of discipline in terms of not just looking after yourself, but obviously looking after your siblings and keeping the family together and keeping the focal point that I think your family, your, your parents had directed you all to and had made sacrifices for you to fulfill, in a way, their obligation of education as being that ticket on life success. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate Lastly, as we close out our conversation today, can you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to girls and women in the continent who are listening to us? This is what I want to say. Mighty woman, know this and never forget it. It doesn't matter if you're a known or unknown person in your circles. It doesn't matter what your social position is. If you have a desire in your heart and your mind is set to achieve, 
that desire. And if you know your capabilities and your worth, there isn't a single barrier you cannot surmount to achieve your goal. And lastly, do not ever, I repeat, do not ever allow anything or anyone to define or even estimate your self-worth. You are a queen. You are gold. That's how big a deal you are. That, that's all I want to say. Thank you. Those are incredibly impactful words of self-worth, self-assurance, and confidence and being true to your own identity, to your vision, to your dreams. And if you focus, you'll win in the end. Thank you very much for joining us. It is a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It is really a privilege. Thank you. Judge Rusi, we wish you all the very best as you continue serving in your term of, of office on, on the bench and upholding the rights of society and ensuring that social justice is available to all. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and we have been talking to Judge Lindiwe Husi from the Eastern Cape Division of the High Court in Imtata. <laughs>